a cross, crucifixion predates Christianity, and we talk about the fact that the origins were with the, with the uh, Persians and the Assyrians way before the time of Christ. And in fact, the Romans used crucifixion in only the most brutal and barbaric ways with people who were condemned to die. They would not use this on their own citizens, but rather those who would be slaves or foreigners. In fact, the word cross was not even mentioned in a Roman conversation because it was so brutal. It was so brutal, a person who was nailed to a cross typically died of exposure. It could take up to four days. Uh, they died of exposure or asphyxiation, suffocation. That Jesus went to the cross. He was sent. He was committed. He was unwavering to the commitment that God had given to him and the Father. In fact, we've come to understand over these last few weeks that the experience of the cross of Christ probably is the most significant event in human history. We looked at the, the message of the cross, meaning it was mighty to save. We talked about salvation, redemption. We talked about the wrath of God. We talked about the power of the cross. The power of the cross was love. We talked about the proof of the cross as we witnessed Thomas as he saw the resurrected Lord and proclaimed that he said, He is my Lord and my God. Last week we talked about the loyalty to the cross, about our love that even surpasses our family and ourselves in devotion as we are committed to Jesus Christ. So the confession of the cross. The context today is taken out of the book of Matthew. Matthew, uh, today, as we see in chapter 16, that Jesus asked the disciples on this monumental day, as you know that he's been teaching and showing and, and mentioning to them the significance of who he is and the, uh, and the presentation of the kingdom of God. And Jesus stopped one day and he looked at this congregation, these group of people, these disciples, and he said, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he said, well, maybe they think that you were John the Baptist, or maybe they think that you are Elijah or Jeremiah, or even one of the Old Testament prophets. And then Jesus looked at him and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said these profound words, you are the Christ, the anointed, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus blessed and praised Peter for God had given him perspective and understanding. And then he began to share with them about what's coming down the road once again. He said to these disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the religious, the Jewish leadership. That he would be killed, killed on a cross, and raised on the third day. And this struck Peter in a powerful and significant way. He was moved emotionally. And he took uh, Jesus aside and he reprimanded him. <laughs> Peter tells Jesus, God forbid it, that this shall not happen to you. And it's very emphatic how he used his language. He said, may this never happen to you today or tomorrow or any time at all. This angered Jesus and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on the interests or the things of God, but of man's. So I heard sermons and said, well, at that moment, Satan entered into Peter. No, that's not what happened. What we see here is that Jesus saw that the effort of his ministry was to halt, to stop, to not continue on. This hindrance is based on misunderstanding 
in attaching Peter's own ideas and plan on the ministry of Christ. You see, Satan's ways are to prohibit or to hinder the ministry and the work of Christ. And it was the very spirit of Satan that Peter didn't even realize it when he said this, may you never, ever, ever go to the cross and die. It's the very same message that the enemy would whisper into Jesus' ear. And he said, this message that you're giving to me is an hindrance. It's the work of the enemy. You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but of man's. Remember in the scripture way back in the book of Isaiah, we discover what this great prophet had written. Isaiah chapter 55, he says this. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So Peter thought that he was speaking for God, but in reality he was seeking from from his own self-promotion and his own agenda for the ministry of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, may that never be hindered in the ministry of me, the Holy Spirit, or the work of the Father. So the confession of Christ is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So the confession of Christ is meaning to admit and affirm that we are believers in Christ and we embrace the truth and the meaning of the cross. You see, it's a privilege being a Christian. I want to remind you, as we as believers, though oftentimes we face some sense of resistance in some sense of frustration toward us, I want to remind all of us today, it is a privilege to be a Christian. We have found quality, we have found significance, we have found hope, we have found love. It is no way given or distributed in any type of world environment. We are believers. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be approved of by God. Because of the obedience to Jesus Christ, in His obedience to the Father, and our belief and subjection to Him. You see, our life is not about us. It's all about Christ. There's three things that we can acknowledge. There's three things that we can confess to them. There's three things that we can confess today. Number one, that we know Him. The message of the cross in our confession there is, is the avenue of knowing God Himself, Jesus Christ. Remember what we had learned? Do you remember that the cross, the message of salvation, of deliverance, the deliverance of sin, the deliverance of selfishness, the deliverance from the influence of the world and the enemy, and the deliverance of death? Do you remember? That we know Him through our salvation. We confess this. Do you remember that we are redeemed? That we've been bought with a huge price. Now listen closely. The blood of Christ paid for our sins. Amen. The debt we could not pay ourselves. 
We could not earn salvation. We do not deserve salvation. Even though the greatest events and efforts that we can accomplish in this life would never win. Would never win the approval of God. I remember when my children were little. And looking across this room, you have either witnessed it or experienced it yourself as a grandparent or even a parent. We look at our children when they're young, my daughter especially. She could not be left in a room even for a moment by herself when she was a toddler. Her classic line was, look at me. Look at me. And so she would come running into the room with maybe a, a pen in her hand and she'd say, look at me. And she'd wave a pen. It's like, come on, really? You know? But you know something? We think about the sacrifice and the efforts of humanity. We think about the expense that people try to get God to look at them and approve of them. But I want to remind you that before we were saved, we were considered enemies of God. And God takes and pays no attention to the efforts that we would try to do to receive His approval. Do you remember when Jesus hung on the cross when He said, Father, why hast Thou forsaken Me? God turned His back because of the sin of humanity. And so it is sin that causes God to ignore or to disapprove, if you would, the very efforts of, that we do as humans to find His approval. We confess the cross as we remember salvation. We confess the cross as we consider redemption. We confess the, the cross in regard to the wrath of God. Like I mentioned a moment ago, that we are enemies of God because of sin. And Jesus was abandoned in the darkness and alienated from the Father from the moment in which He paid for our salvation. Look at 1627 in Matthew. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father and His angels and will recompense every man according to his deeds. He's coming back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now let's look at some very important scriptures that should just penetrate our hearts if we would. Look at Matthew if you would. Chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. It's a lengthy read, but it's very worthwhile because you and I will see this. He's coming. He's promised. And what Jesus has promised, He will fulfill. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He'll sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as the sheep shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, who are redeemed. Come, who have been saved. Come, who have lived in a living hope. Come. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? 
The king will answer and say, say to them, Truly I say, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. You see, ministry, true ministry, is only done appropriately and effectively by those who know Jesus Christ. We do because we knew. I praise the Lord of your, for your generosity to the Northwest Impact. Ministry is so minimalized minimized right now because of the environment in which we live. But the spirit of ministry goes on. We have learned as a church here that little is big. Even the little efforts that we have to reach out and to care and to love speaks volumes to our love for each other and certainly for Jesus Christ. So everything is not lost and nothing is too small. Every opportunity that God has given to us to care and to share, we should maximize on that to know that when we do care and we do speak and we do share with other people, that we do this from the heart of Christ. And if we see this scripture as the way it is, even as we do to others, we really do to Him. Nothing is wasted. But it's very sad too because there's going to be a day that's shown in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, that there'll be those that come and say, well, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we minister in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, because I never knew you. By the fact that Jesus said, I never knew you to those who never knew him, realizes for us understanding that they didn't know him, because he didn't know them. You see... It's not what we say that demonstrates our knowledge of Christ. It's what we do. I want to say it's a handshake. No. It's an elbow bump. No. I don't know. It's a wink and a nod in the name of Jesus Christ that we love one another. It's the sharing of a meal. It's the prayers. You see, we have the confession of the cross because we know Him. The second is that we have a confession and we acknowledge these things in regard to the cross because we talk to Him. John chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Let's look at this. This is a very compelling scripture because it tells us how we orient ourselves to God. John tells us, what Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For, for apart from me you can do nothing. Did you catch that? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. Depart from me, I never knew you. Is what Jesus said prior. Let's go on. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we look at this scripture very closely and we come to understand some things. There was a time in my life that I faced personal desperation. 
My life was going to radically change. I either follow God, I either follow Christ and His clear direction in my life, or I don't. I left work early one hot summer afternoon, and I went up to, onto a trail on a mountain called Mount Peak in Enumclaw. I'd heard about this place. It's a place of solitude. It's a place for soul searching. And I went to this mountain, and I took my Bible, and I came across this scripture, and I came to the realization Nothing in life is worthwhile unless Christ is wrapped up in the middle of it. Do you understand? So I came across this verse. And I gave my life to Christ again. And the result of that is me here today. It was a turning point in my life. You know, what's interesting is that we can do nothing without Him, Jesus said. You see, there is no purpose or direction. I believe that Solomon, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, really nailed it when he said there's nothing actually worthwhile in any part of our lives without God. He says, I've tried property. I've tried immorality. I've tried substance abuse. I've tried money. I've tried slaves. I've tried personal presentation in the community. I pride myself as being something of honor and of privilege. And he came back of all that and he said, vanities of vanities. Nothing of nothing. It all comes to nothing until he comes to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, without God, there is no purpose in our lives. Be reminded of this today as we think about the confession of Christ and how we embrace Him, the confession of the cross, how our lives have been changed because there is no other reason, there is nothing lasting, there is no goal and quality and purpose of this life except for Him. You see, this life from the time in which we were born until the time in which we die is a huge window to come and to understand and to love and be committed and be involved with God. And then we get to go home to be with Him forever. These 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we live in this life is all given to us that we may know God and have a relationship with Him that would never end. It's too bad that we're so short-sighted in many ways. So he says to pray, and whatever you ask that we give it to you, that would be according to His plan, His purpose for our lives. But you know, there's a time in which we need to go and be quiet. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 6, he tells us to go into a quiet place, an inner room, some place where there's solitude, some place where there's quietness that we can commune with God. And then there's that psalm verse that says, Be still and know that I'm God. To be still, to be quiet. Quiet is elusive in our culture today. <laughs> I came across an article recently in the Smithsonian Magazine. It talks about a writer whose name is Pete McBride. He wrote an article in that magazine that said, The Last Quiet Places. And he quotes an acoustic uh, ecologist by the name of Jim Hempton. Hinton said in 1984 there were 21 places in Washington, 71,298 square miles that were free from human noise for intervals of 15 minutes or more. 21 places where there's quiet for just 15 minutes. Now there's only three. Three places where there isn't human, man-made, humankind noise. We have transportation and we have construction. 
We have machines. We have computers. We hear the bite, the, the beeping, and the grinding, and the electronics that are all vying for our attention. Find your place to talk to Jesus. Find your place where it's quiet. Find your place. So we know Him, we talk to Him, and we trust Him. During this last year, for our world, our faith, our relationships, and our sense of things that are important for us have been challenged. But apparently you have been touched by the hand of God because who else would come to church at 9.30 on a Sunday morning when it's 36 degrees outside? What, are you crazy? No, you're Christians. You've come to hear the Word. You've come to have fellowship, though it's so minimized. You've come to a time in which we desire to go to church. But I want to remind you, don't, don't grow weary. We've had this confusing pandemic and mandates that have been given, taken away and then given again. Do you just remember just a few short weeks ago the smoke we experienced? All we have to do is turn on the TV and see the chaos that's happening in the streets of our cities. All we have to do is turn on our computers and see the confusion that's happening in the political world. But I want to remind you today that it is a privilege to be a Christian. And we are to look at our world and our life experience through our relationship to Jesus Christ and our understanding of His Word as we apply it to our lives. That's why we are called to be students of the Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, 32-35, the writer wants to encourage because there was a time of despair in the lives of the recipient of this book. Listen to what the writer says. But remember the former days. Now listen, this is a whole different context. A whole different experience. And their faith was challenged. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, when after being a Christian, the privilege, okay, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has such a great reward." Now, I want us to think about a couple of things here. When all else is falling all apart around us, we can still hold the hand of Christ. He has not changed. You see, the Lord has allowed spiritual tension in our lives that drive us to Him. We cannot see and we cannot hope for the answers that might come from the mind of man. The questions that we have and the need of our heart can only come from the eternal love that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, 
Though we try to nest and find some solace within ourselves and the resources at hand, then you know what God does? He pushes us just a little further over the edge that we have to reach out to Him. So I've been debating whether I should tell you this or not, because it's almost irreverent. I think I will. Now I piqued your interest, right? <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker on a car probably six or eight months ago. You sit at the light, you know my favorite intersection, which is <laughs> London and Bethel. Anyway, I'm sitting there looking at this bumper sticker, and I thought, wow, what does this mean? It says, help. Why is it so hot? Why is it so hot? And why am I in this handbasket? Where am I going? Do you get it? No. Going to hell in a handbasket. Um. Now, I don't know how to capitalize on that. <laughs> so, so much for the shock therapy of all that. But it's so true. Is that That's what the world is asking. Where are we going? Where are we going to end up? Where are we going to look for answers? Who will tell us the truth? Who will stand with conviction? Who will? We will be, because it's a privilege to be a Christian. So that leads us to our season that we live. We're to follow Christ, right? Amen. We are entered, we have entered into, and we are now in election season. I want you to do something. Now, think about this for a moment. Before you vote, you best pray. Amen. You vote the way God puts a conviction in your heart. Because our desire is to follow Him. We are to be infused into the vine because we are the branches. We are to look for His mind, His conviction. His interests above our own. So certainly, pray about your vote. In fact, let's take this just a little deeper. And I may hear about this, but that's okay. I like living on the edge. I get tired of saying I'm sorry. That's another one. You know, there was a time in the ministry and the life in the kingdom of Hezekiah. Great King Hezekiah. He was a godly man. The Assyrians came knocking at his door and they surrounded his city. And, and Sennacherib, who was the leader at this particular time, wrote Hezekiah a letter. And it was a threatening letter. Kind of the side note of all this, the content of the letter is this. Resistance is futile. You're not going to stand against us. You will be like any other nation. Don't listen to what you think your God says because there's been no other God deliver all these other city-states that we've taken over. You have no chance. Don't believe that you're going to lead these people away because they will lead these people to stand against us as Jewish people. They cannot and they will not and you will lead them astray to their ultimate destruction. This broke Hezekiah's heart. And she, you know what he did? He took this letter and he went to the temple and he laid it before God and he said, See what's happening here? See what's going on? Oh God, oh God, we need you now more than ever. So I want to ask you, as we receive this document in the mail, you lay it before God and you say, See what's happening? You guide me. 
What can I do? Hezekiah went off and left that letter in the temple. And Elijah came. No, Isaiah came to him and said, Listen, God's heard your prayer. Sennacherib will not overcome Israel. And sure enough, in one night, 180,000 soldiers were killed. God disposed of that threat. So I guess I'm saying all of this is that the motivation for Hezekiah to take this letter before God was one of desperation and discernment. And as we have this opportunity to voice a voice, you seek God because this is a time of desperation and it is a time of discernment. So you pray the way God would have you to pray. Because frankly, in the kingdom of God, oftentimes our opinion doesn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. Contentment. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I've died to myself. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself uh, amen. This is what Paul did with the cross in his life. I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ. Who demonstrated the ultimate love. So in closing, one more verse I want to share with you is found in Jude. By the way, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. <laughs> Listen to how he ends. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The confession of the cross. The confession of the cross is our demonstration of Him. So a couple of takeaways, and then we'll close today. I want to ask you to be reminded when you see the cross in our culture, be reminded of the significance. It was an execution device. It's where they nail Jesus Christ. The cross is the doorway, the path, and the opportunity to know God as Jesus gave himself most vulnerable and most lovingly for us. When we see the cross, we're reminded of who Christ is. It's more than an ornament. It's more than a trinket. It's a reminder to us the crisis of life. Our confession of the cross is that we know Christ. Our confession of the cross is we've talked to Christ. And the confession of the cross is that we love Him. Something